Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hello, guys and girls. The program you are about to hear will be both fun and educational, but it is not a substitute for medical advice. Although we are doctors, we are not your doctors. Welcome to Travel Medicine. As always, I'm your friendly neighborhood internal medicine doc, Dr. J. Hey, guys. Dr. Santos here, pediatric infectious disease doc and researcher. I bet you weren't expecting us this, were you? <laughs> holiday and all. Yeah, but, you know, just because we can't give you a full-on present doesn't mean we can't leave us a little something in your stocking. That's right. And because you've all been good little guys, gals, and non-binary pals, we're going to leave a stocking stuffer. An episode that is too good to not tell you about, but not quite long enough to be released on our general schedule. Uh, I, I love these. I, and I know that we, we're also going to like sprinkle these out, you know, with, with other holiday themed, you know, type of things throughout the schedule. Yeah. So every so often we'll be dropping little knowledge nuggets into your stocking, into your <laughs> ear holes. And uh, this time, we had just finished recently talking about 80 Plagues Diphtheria. Yeah, it's one of my favorite series that we do is Around the World in 80 Plagues. And we talked about a plague that's still prevalent in a lot of parts of the world where we don't have good vaccination because of availability, but we don't really see it in this country anymore, is the, the horrible disease diphtheria. And one of the things we had very briefly touched on was a mention of a sled dog, Balto, who has his own movement, however unwarranted, mm -hmm. and, and his participation <laughs> in the famous, at the time, you know, Noam Alaska, not David. No, no, <laughs> yeah, he, he didn't go to a, like a G-N-O-M-E, like a gnome. No, no, he went to, you know, he went to Nome, uh, N-O-M-E, Alaska. And I still don't know what your vitriol is against this poor little puppy. He, he was well, a little hero. Well, to be fair, my vitriol is not so much aimed at Balto as his handler who claimed all mm -hmm. the glory for him when the real hero is Togo, the sled dog. And in fact, 
it's to such an extent that Togo's finally getting some recognition that Disney Plus is bringing the story of Togo and the Serum Run to Gnome, starring Willem Dafoe. Oh, uh, wait, what? <laughs> the Green Goblin is going to get vaccines? We know Norman Osborn already does a lot of work with vaccines. <laughs> No, well, we got him. The only other Willem Dafoe I know is like that creepy dude in, in Reservoir Dogs. I, <laughs> I can't quite see him as like the savior of a particular story. Well, if you tune in to, I don't know, Disney Plus on December 20th, they have a trailer for it. And it involves Leonard Sapala and Sled Dog Togo. And we're going to tell today your special winter stocking stuffer is going to be the story of the Serum Run to Gnome. So you have something to listen to until you can all get out there to finally see Frozen 2. And I promise that we're not going to leave you uh, lost in the woods. I really hope that they're like the Venn diagram of adults who listen to this podcast and adults who watch Frozen 2. I, I really hope there's like a massive overlap and they all understand that, that reference. Throw it. Adults who enjoy 80s power ballads in children's movies. Okay. Uh, uh, now, you've told me about this. I have yet to see Frozen 2. I'm going to go this weekend, I promise, and then we can talk all about it. Finally. Then I won't be <laughs> the only person who's like, one adult male without children to see this Disney movie, please. <laughs> well, I mean, to be fair, I'll probably be taking my family, but, you know. So, let's get started. <laughs> With our I'm excited. Story. Ask all of our uh, listeners to kind of tuck in and pull their blankets up tight and, you know, get themselves a warm mug of cocoa. Oh, yes. Okay. Listening audience, go grab yourselves a mug of cocoa, two marshmallows, no more, no less. Pull on <laughs> your robes, sit in front of your fires, huddle up and pretend that you're in the, the wintry wonderland of 1920s rural Alaska with nothing to see but snow and ice for miles. No ports nearby but one, and it's soon to close. And as we begin, Curtis Welch, the only doctor for Nome, a town of fewer than 2,000 people, was being served with a sickness. For you see, Curtis Welch was supported by four nurses at the 25-bed Maynard Columbus Hospital. and. Earlier in the summer, he had placed an order for more diphtheria antitoxin after discovering that his hospital's entire batch had expired. This is a real problem. As we had covered in the diphtheria episode, Ooh. antitoxin was the only treatment that existed at all in the last hundred years to treat this diphtheria, which was a huge killer of children at the time. We didn't have any vaccines. All we had was this minor treatment and cutting a hole in your throat. Yep. Uh, and the cutting the hole in the throat didn't really treat anything. It just gave you a place to breathe, you know, while you tried very hard to just fight off the infection on your own. But the antitoxin, um, which if you listen to our episode, you'll learn that it comes from horses, is antibody, which can bind up the actual agent that causes all the havoc in diphtheria which is the diphtheria toxin. So, Welch had discovered his hospital's entire batch had expired and ordered more. But, seeing as how Amazon didn't exist and Santa had a lot of Christmas to prepare for, the shipment did not arrive mm -hmm. before the port closed for the winter. 
meaning no one was getting in or out of this village until spring. Have you seen the movie 30 Days of Night? I've heard about it, and it sounds Imagine terrifying. That, but instead of vampires, diphtheria. So, in December 1924, yeah. less than a week after the final ship of the season left the port, a couple children arrived in the local hospital for what Welch originally diagnosed as sore throats or tonsillitis. Uh, now, he initially dismissed diphtheria. He did consider it. but as we mentioned, it's extremely contagious, and he would have expected to see more symptoms in family members of the affected children or other cases around town instead of just, you know, two or three kids. Yeah, diphtheria is a little bit like measles in that way. It's not as contagious as measles, but it's bad enough that if you get one kid that's infected and then you have a, a you know, everybody's unvaccinated, um, you're going to have a a massive number of cases in a matter of days. So it is really, really odd to see diphtheria just isolated little spots in an unvaccinated population. As the weeks continued to progress, the number of tonsillitis cases grew and four children died who he had not been able to autopsy because he was the only doctor in a town of about 2,000 people. For those of you who didn't grow up in a small town or haven't lived in one, imagine that the entire town is roughly the same size as the high school of a larger city. So, yeah, a, a couple of thousand people, something like that. Yeah. Um, so as the number of cases began to grow and grow and more and more people were becoming sick, and specifically children, which this disease really does a number on, Welch started to become increasingly concerned about diphtheria for what he worried was an epidemic. And he sent telegrams to every single town in Alaska and one to Washington, D.C. I don't know how he was hoping for these things to actually get out, especially get all the way to Washington, D.C. You know, the, the port freezes over. There's vast periods of time where there's very little way to get in and out of this town um, you know, there's no airplanes at this time at all. Well, um, well, I'll I'll correct that just a little. Airplanes okay. in the early 1920s were dealing with around the Indiana Jones time period. So, oh, okay, okay, but I don't think any of them were like hardy enough to like fly into. How cold was it? Well, just like horrible. Oh, we'll get to that. Okay, <laughs> but let's let me tell you the text of his telegram. And, you know, he, he sent out this, this concern. An epidemic mm -hmm. of diphtheria is almost inevitable here. Stop. I am in urgent need of one million units of diphtheria antitoxin. Stop. Mail is the only form of transportation. Stop. I have made application to Commissioner of Health of the Territories for antitoxin already. Stop. There are about 3,000 white natives in the district. Well, ho, ho, stop. Uh, okay. <laughs> All right there. I, I mean, I, <laughs> I don't know what to make of that, really. Well, that's how he could emphasize, this is why you should help white people. No. <laughs> Please save the precious white people. Okay, we'll, we'll give this a little bit of a pass. One, because of the time. Two, because we should move on with the story. I, I enjoy telegram messages. Uh, 
Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of an interesting way, right? They're kind of limited in the middle of the stops and stuff, so it's almost like you know, ye old Twitter telegrams were nineteen twenties Twitter. Yeah, you've you've got a character limit, and you've got to put in and stops in between all that. Yeah. <laughs> just like Twitter. <laughs> so sure, one of the key things they mentioned: mail is the only form of transportation. Again, this is pre-Amazon. Wait, wait, wait. But mail isn't transportation. Mail is the mail. He had to be selective in his words, but mail could still be delivered. How was mail delivered in rural Alaska? Okay, gotcha. Okay, no no motorized vehicles. You couldn't get a horse up there. Okay, are we we at uh, doggies yet? They proposed a dog sled relay using two teams. One team would start at Nenana, and the other would start at Nome. And the two teams would meet in the middle at a town called Nulato. The trip from Nulato to Nome normally took 30 days. But the app, although the record was nine. What? Dude, that, that, those were some quick now, dogs, man. Welch calculated that the existing serum he had, even using the expired antitoxin, would only last six days under the brutal conditions of the trail. So he's using expired toxin. He has an escalating case, epidemic of diphtheria. And the fastest this trip had been recorded was nine days, but the serum would only last six based on how brutal this trail was to travel. Okay, so you, 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 you got to haul ass. You to haul multiple tails. At this point, we didn't talk a lot about what the serum is like, you know, when you have antitoxin. You've basically harvested antibodies, in this case from horses, and you've stored them. The antibodies will stay good for a long time if you can get the temperature way down. I'm talking about like minus 80 degrees. But anything above that, even, you know, if you just stick these, you know, barrels of antitoxin outside because it was cold as all hell, probably like a freezer... Um, it will have a shelf life to it. The proteins which make up the antibodies will start to denature. And as soon as they can no longer bind to the toxin, um, it's no good anymore. It's just going to be serum, so, like just again, basically like giving water. The existing record to even get viable antitoxin to them. They've only got really six, six days or so to, to make this based on their estimations oh. of supply chain. Yeah, I mean, so this was, they're asking for the impossible, trip, essentially. They chose Norwegian trailer Leonard Sipala for, to make this 630-mile or 1,000-kilometer run, mm. run from Nome to Nulato and back. And previously, so they knew he could do this, because even okay. though the whole trip from Nanana to Nome was nine days at the fastest, he had previously made the run from Nome to Nulato in four days breaking records so and and we should say by the way he and the doggies because his lead dog was the 12 year old togo renowned throughout alaska for his leadership intelligence and uncanny ability to sense that is an old dog dude 12 years old from maynard columbus hospital proposed flying the antitoxin by aircraft i mean i'm guessing you have like biplanes at this point made out of wood those things are going to crash in in february of 1924 the very first winter aircraft flight in alaska had been conducted between fairbanks and mcgrath 
flown by the post office. Remember, the way to get in or out were the mail routes. The longest flight was only about 260 miles for these experimental plane flights. The worst conditions they ever had to face were negative 10 degrees Fahrenheit or 23 Celsius. And that required so much winter clothing from the pilots in these little biplanes that the plane was practically unflyable and it had several crash landings along the trip. (laughs) I love several crash landings across the trip because what that means is that the pilot, you know, grounded this goddamn plane, crash, got up, dusted himself off, pulled out his, you know, wrenches. And it's like, all right, patch here. Kind of says, all right, contact and hit the propeller again. It's like, here we go. <laughs> Did this multiple times. Thinking about that in this freezing weather, it makes me terrified, proud, and like giddy at the same time. Yeah. Because that's insane. So given that knowledge, even though the post office and the mayor were really rooting to try and get planes more used, they approved the dog sled option to get this serum. So while All right. while the first batch of serum was traveling to Nanana, Governor Bone gave his final authorization to approve the dog relay, which is the first case of giving a bone a dog, <laughs> and ordered the U.S. Post Office Inspector to arrange a relay of the best drivers and dogs across the interior of Alaska, and they would travel day and night until they handed off the package to Sapala at Nulato. I'm I'm excited about this, but at the same time, I'm like so sad for the the people, you know, because the the driver is staying up and he's tired and exhausted, and these poor dogs. I mean, probably more than a few of them died. Well, they had a total of 10 drivers and dog sled teams, but it began with Sapala, who passed it to, you know, we're, we're talking about the last leg of the trip from Nulato to Nome. We're not going to focus on the Nanana to Nulato, although it is okay. a lot of fun to say all these N-related. <laughs> they are. These Inuit names are some of the coolest ones to say. Now, Sapala carried it for quite a while and we'll we'll talk about these in a moment when i vent about why he deserves the glory and not bald <laughs> okay okay Paula passed it to driver charlie olson who gave it to driver gunner Kaysen, and gunner Kaysen's lead dog was balto together oh god okay so so gunner Kaysen and balto led the final stretch but all together the teams covered 674 miles about a thousand kilometers in a hundred twenty-seven and a half hours. Whoa! A world record done in extreme sub-zero temperatures, near blizzard conditions, and hurricane-force winds. I was not able to find the exact number of dogs who died during the trip, but it was a lot, and almost none of the drivers managed to get out without suffering some degree of frost. Oh, so there were like fingers lost along the way. So Sapala and Togo were the true heroes of the run as they covered the longest and the most hazardous leg. They made a round trip of 261 miles from Nome to Shaktulik, back to Golovin, and delivered mm-hmm. the serum a total of 91 miles, almost double the distance covered by any other team. Oh, no. okay, so this is why Togo 
was sh- actually Going should be the lizards steering around pitfalls and glaciers 91 miles with the serum after having already done 261 miles to get the serum gunner Kaysen only and the final yeah. amount uh the last i think like the last 40 miles of this trip and okay. after However, the mayor of Los Angeles and these other ones presented a bone-shaped key to the city, which is cute, to to Balto in front of the city (laughs) hall, because he's the one who actually handed the serum over. And a statue was erected in Central Park of Balto to honor all of the dogs involved in the serum run. Um, Now, here's the problem. Kaysen was actually supposed to hand off the serum to another driver, uh, but... He, he says that that other driver was sleeping. Kaysen got there a little bit earlier, and rather than wait for that driver to wake up and hitch up his team, Kaysen just pressed on in order to deliver the serum faster. All of which, all of which is admirable, but Oof. after his return, he was accused of being a bit of a glory hog. Uh, <laughs> along with and this was by the other drivers, not just by me. So he could have saved himself a little bit of agony and saved his dogs a little bit of agony by just, you know, taking the shipment off of his sled and giving it to this other guy. And uh, because history is written by the people who can speak it, we have no idea if this other dude could have just like come in and be like, dude, you're lying. I was awake. You just like buzzed well, the right past. The thing me. is that they all wanted this serum to get there. Sure, sure. No, I mean that that's the most amazing thing. When I think about this, Josh, I mean day and night, blizzard conditions, these guys didn't have GPS, right? And even if there were any trails or any roads, you couldn't see a goddamn thing. You had a compass. Uh, and you had a few landmarks that you could rely on that weren't completely like destroyed by snow. And you could use some waypoints like, you know, keeping a particular mountain peak or a glacier on your left or on your right. Sleds would get stuck in snow drifts. Um, you know, dogs would die. People would die. You would get these terrible things where you'd be on the edge of a glacier and you wouldn't be able to quite see. So People could fall off the edge of just gone and you'd never be seen or heard from again, you know, until the ice caps melt. It, it was a crazy, crazy time. And remember, we already talked about the only other option was flying there in biplanes with open cockpits and water cooled. <laughs> uh, it blows my mind. These guys, Togo, Balto, you know, these are amazing dogs. Um, and all of these mushers was absolutely amazing. So, Although Balto and Kaysen got most of the glory at that time, here's a little bit of a caveat to that. Sipala, with Togo, sold most of his team, all of whom survived, to a kennel in Poland Spring, Maine. And people were so impressed by this that they kept breeding and breeding his team. And now, about... 70% of the Huskies in the United States are descended from one of the dogs from Sapala's team. Whoa, dude, that's like a Genghis Khan type story. <laughs> you know, like how like a, a quarter of, you know, the entire population of Asia is related to Genghis Khan. 
That is so, so cool. The publicity from the Serum Run, or also known as the Great Race of Mercy, actually helped to spur an inoculation campaign in the U.S. that dramatically reduced the threat of the disease. Now, this is really impressive because at the end, the Serum got to know him in time that there were really only about seven deaths total, which doesn't sound like a lot. But remember, you've only got a thousand people and you can bet all seven of those deaths were probably children. And this prompted mm-hmm. a huge oh, yeah. wave of inoculation and interest in vaccination and just general health awareness. And this dramatically reduced the threat of diphtheria, all from the publication of this one race. Why the sled dog? Well, it was the primary means of transportation and communication in all these subarctic communities. And this race became both the last great hurrah and the most famous event in the history of mushing because by the 1930s, you had more reliable cold weather aircraft. And then in the 1960s, the invention of the snowmobile drove the dog sled almost into extinction. So the world famous Iditarod was not actually conceived to commemorate the Serum Run, but it was done to help bring sled dogs back to the villages and kind of increase that traditional method and bring this more to the attention and say, let's not lose out on this wonderful tradition that we've had and that's what the Iditarod is from right other than you know the Iditarod today there's nothing really being transported it is a race um it you know it's the equivalent of the most brutal marathon ever um so there the the practical use of dog mushing I, I would say Josh they're There are folks who I've spoken to or from Alaska and especially remote areas where they'll say that's still one of the most reliable ways to get around. You know, as long as you have food for your dogs, you're amazing. And you can even hunt while you're out in the wilderness and get more food, whether it's a moose or a deer or something. As you know, the snowmobile can break down or the snowmobile can get lodged or stuck. Then you have zero help, you know, trying to get this couple of ton machine out of a snowbank. So um, I'm really, really glad the history was preserved. You know, the Iditarod is an amazing, lunatic, crazy race. I personally like to recommend um, the Gary Paulson book, Winter Dance, if you want to kind of get a, a fictionalized version of it, but it's still really beautiful. I love that the understanding of public health came from such a heroic act. And I love what it spurred because right here from the 1920s, you know, we have a beautiful bloom of vaccination where we just eradicated a bunch of diseases from the North American continent. Um, You know, we, we don't see tetanus anymore, or we very rarely see tetanus. Diphtheria is limited to like cutaneous disease, um, measles, was once gone now it's coming back you know these are these were all diseases that mowed down kids when they were most vulnerable and you know thanks to vaccination thanks to public health um we're seeing a lot lot less of it now every participant in the dog sled race received letters of commendation from calvin coolidge um balto eventually was euthanized due to his age stuffed and put on display in the cleveland museum of natural history <laughs> Why Cle- I mean, shouldn't he go back to Alaska or Nope. I I guess Cleveland's okay. Well, if you watch the Balto story, there is some terrible Disney level awfulness 
that happened to him. They became part of a sideshow. They lived in horrible conditions uh, until they were oh. adopted by the Cleveland Zoo. And that's why he was stuffed. So he went from kind of this, you know, Balto himself was not a glory hog. He was a good boy, like all the. Yeah. But we went from Balto getting the statue and recognition versus Togo, who eventually died on 1929, which, if you remember, that's five years after. So he lived to 17, which is nice. And after his death, (laughs) you know, fathering most of the Huskies, or at least him and his fathering (laughs) most of the future Huskies of America, Sapala also had Togo preserved and mounted, and he's in the Iditarod Museum in Alaska. So both dogs did did get air, and or did get recognized. And they recreated this race in 1975 with descendants of the original 20. And even then, that race took six days longer than the original serum run, or more than twice the total time. That serum run, because of the desperation fueling everything that happened, the resources that were put into it, remember, this was not just like one musher going from you know, gnome to the checkpoint in Nanana and then coming right back. This was a chain of mushers and a ton of dogs. Um, and, and it was fueled by, you know, kids are going to die. So I, Josh, I genuinely don't think we'll ever see the like of, you know, this level of uh, kind of desperation ever now, again you in dog mushing. Really, my storytelling skills aren't enough and you just really want to participate in this, you can. In fact, the Alaska Dog Works does run a Serum Run Trail exhibition where you it's reasonably priced for what they do, but it starts February 21st in Nanana. They arrive and talk over the last-minute logistics. They receive a package by train the next morning and hit the trail to Nome and spend two weeks stopping at all the same places along the route, traveling by dog sled with snowmobile support, each day one of the teams carrying the cargo. So you're still delivering things, but you don't have quite that sense of urgency, and you get a real feel for what these people had to do. And the goal right now, there it looks like it'll cost around 3500 to 5000 per team. So you've got to ship your own gear, supplies, gas, oil, if you want to join some of the dog teams. Yeah, uh, this is kind of a luxury type thing. This is not one of those that you do because you want to drive yourself or anything like that. It 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 really is, you know, you've got some money to spend. You want to actually well, still, have an adventure in Alaska rather than, you know. And it's it's part of a wilderness course. So it's it's not full luxury vacation. You know, you're you're staying in some pretty harsh conditions and you're going to be expected to work, but you can yeah. feel feel for, you know, that's that's one way of traveling back in time. Mm-hmm. So now do you understand why awesome. I am excited that Togo's getting his story finally told? <laughs> I'm really glad and I'm glad that we're part of it. You know, telling everybody about Togo, as well as celebrating all of these other participants in this really amazing vaccine run, or I should say serum run. And I learned a lot. So that's it for our stocking stuffer. Tune in next time when we talk uh, about the discovery of the Graham. (laughs) That's really sad. Led by Hans Christian Graham. 
I know you thought I was going to say Anderson. As always, we love to hear your comments, questions, and feedback. If you'd like to support us spiritually, emotionally, or financially, links to do that are in the show notes, along with sources used in researching this episode. Our theme music is composed by Rachel Leisure. This show is produced by me with a lot of help from Dr. Santosh and our other co-hosts. And until next time, as always, happy travels.